0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the first morning service of Sunday the 21st of February 2016, entitled, Forgiveness, Part 2. And the Bible reading is taken from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Here's Pastor Brian Beaver. That, a message like that last night is one that's not only eye-opening, but it's, it's heart-wrenching for a pastor and for a preacher. Uh, to preach it. But uh, obviously, uh, I believe that God rung our bell. Uh, I believe it was right on point. And I thank God for everyone that was here. And you were obedient to whatever God spoke to you about. I talked to many, many people. And I believe God did some heart work last night. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, but to, this morning, I want to be just practical. All right, Philippians chapter number one, Philippians chapter number one, we're going to talk a little bit more about forgiveness, but uh, I've got to do some preliminary things before we get there. So Philippians chapter number one, look at verse number six, Philippians chapter one and verse six, young people, I believe, I believe the reason why, and one of the primary reasons and things that keeps us from being successful in our Christian walk is a lack of forgiveness. Um, the Bible says He wants us to be successful. Joshua 1.9 or Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate upon it day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants you to be successful. But you can't be successful. You're going to be a victim and not a victor if you continue to hold on to your unforgiveness. So what you've got to do is you've got to do what else it does, amen? And you've got to let it go. So what I want you to do this morning is I want you to look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6. Philippians chapter number 1 and verse 6. I really believe, Nathan, could you do me a favor? Could you go get me just a cup of water? Like the 20-minute cup, not the 50-minute cup, just a 20-minute cup, okay? Amen. And uh, he knows me. He knows I'm long-winded. He prays I get asthma every time I preach, But uh, some of y'all got that, some of you didn't. But anyway, Philippians chapter number one and verse number six. I believe, listen to me now, I believe that everything in the Christian life is linked to the way you think. I really believe that. I've talked to some people this weekend who's had a problem with depression or they've had a problem with... um, with a low self-esteem, and by the way, you can go buy all the help self-help books you want to on self-esteem, but ain't none of them gonna help you. But I promise you, this book will help you when you look at who you are in Jesus Christ. Amen. You can listen. You are more than a conqueror. You're not junk. God didn't make you so you could serve you. He made you to serve Him. Amen. And so, what I want you to understand this morning, and I'm gonna try to get warmed up here. Okay, y'all pray for me, man. I tell you, tw- hey, pray. God bless you. I kiss you right there. That's good right there. Anyway, everything is linked to your mind. There was a commercial in the United States years ago that said the mind is a terrible thing to waste. I'm in total agreement. I believe God's in agreement with that. I believe God made your mind so you could use it. By the way, the book of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The word heart there is used not talking about the muscle that pumps blood through your body. It's talking about, Pastor, your thought processes, the way you think. By the way, I believe every single person in this room has been given a mind to use, not to abuse. By the way... Your mind is like it's like wet cement. Whatever you press upon it, it's going to be indelible. It's going to be in there. Your mind is like a computer. You put junk in it, it's going to spit junk out. Amen? The way you think has got a lot to do with your character and your willingness to be able to forgive and to restore and to reconcile relationships in your life. By the way, every single one of you, your lives are made up of relationships. With friends, with family, with your spouse, with your children, with your uh, roommates, with your schoolmates. Amen. With your in-laws and your outlaws. Amen. And, and some of the in-laws are outlaws. Amen. But anyway, you, listen, God gave you a mind to use it. Okay. So what I want you to understand this morning before we even look at forgiveness is to understand that some of you are going to have to change some of your thinking, okay? First of all, I want you to understand your mind, your mind, M-I-N-D, write this down, your mind determines your character. Your mind determines your character. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, as he, as a man, thinks in his heart, so is he. So, ladies and gentlemen, your mind determines your character. Can I say this? In a day, you will have at least 25,000 thoughts cross your mind. You will make in a day, a 24-hour period of time, you will make at least 1,200 decisions. When am I going to brush my teeth? Am I going to brush my teeth? <laughs> am I going to comb my hair? I don't have to worry about that, amen? Some of us don't have to worry about combing our hair. What route am I, I going to take to work, you know? Who am I going to encounter today? We're going to make all kinds of decisions. So young people, listen to me. Your mind determines your character. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I often say this, write this down. You sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, pastor, you reap a habit. But you sow a habit, you reap a character. Let me say it again. You sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. So young people, your mind determines your character, who you are. By the way, let me make it this, let me say it this way. You are what you are because you think what you think. Yeah, which which one? sow, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. So a habit reap a character. In other words, your thought processes are going to determine who you are. And you are what you are because you think what you think. See, I even sound more British, don't I? Titus is ever going, man, it's guy, son. Anyway, listen, you are what you are because you think what you think. So your mind, Tim, determines your character. But number two, your mind... (laughs) What happened there? Uh, Anyway. (laughs) puberty setting in. Anyway. I'm almost 50 years old. My my voice is changing. Got a frog in my throat and his legs are crossed. Y'all pray for me. (laughs) Anyway. Your mind determines your character. But number two, your mind determines your conduct. Okay? You say, preacher, what do you mean? Listen, Jesus made this statement in Matthew chapter 15. Joel, he said this. He said, as, listen, he said, what proceeds out of the mouth comes forth from the heart. And it defiles a man. So let me say it again. Your mind not only determines your character, but number two, it determines your conduct. He said, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, murders, fornications, false witness, thefts. Listen, he said everything. It's Listen, it's not what on the outside is defiling a man. It's what's already on the inside. See, you know what? Your greatest enemy is not from without. Your greatest enemy is from within. And by the way, some of you, you know what? Jesus said what proceeds out of the mouth. You know what we need to do? We need to be careful how we use our tongue and talk to people. Amen? The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. That's pretty special stuff. Young people, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. There's people listening to you talk and you know what? If you put junk in, I promise you, junk's going to come out. So what you've got to do is you've got to remember this. Your mind, the way you think, Frazier, determines your character, but it determines your conduct. You say, Preacher, what in the world does that have to do with forgiveness? Because some of you have stinking thinking you need a checkup from the neck up and you need to get right in your heart because of the way you think is going to determine whether or not you're going to be a forgiving person. You can say amen right there. Thank you. Your mind determines your character, your mind determines your conduct. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Look at Philippians 1.6. Listen, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says 19 times in the book of Philippians, he says talks about your mind, but he also says 22 times in the book of Philippians about rejoicing and having joy. Ladies and gentlemen, I promise you the reason why we look sometimes like we're lost but we're saved is because we don't have no joy, and that comes from the way we think. Paul said, and look at look at it, look at verse number 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I can promise you on the authority of the Word of God this morning that God ain't done with you. I'm glad he ain't, Nathan. I'm glad God's still working on me. And he will not finish his work in me until the day I'm either died and in the ground or the rapture takes place and I'm with Jesus. I am going to always be under construction until the day that Jesus Christ comes back. and by the way, those that think they're perfect, there's a lot of people that think they are. there's a, quite a few people in my church that think they are. By the way, I, somebody asked me one time they say, why why does the you know because we've got a certain individual that's in the religious the religious realm of our world that thinks he's infallible he's not Sinful. He has no sinful nature. I can tell you this, if a man don't think he's sinful, all he's got to do is ask his wife if he's married and she'll tell him how sinful he is. Amen. Real quick. (laughs) I got some minutes going, amen. (laughs) Amen. That's good, preacher. But you know what, folks? We're not sinful. We're not sinless. But you know what? When we get saved... We ought to sin a whole lot less than we did before we were saved. Amen. And so what I'm saying is this. It changes. Listen, your mind is a terrible thing to waste. Matter of fact, I served eight years in the Marine Corps in the United States of America. When I walked out of the barracks in where, where I served at Camp Lejeune, we had a sign over the doors, the portals, as we walked out into battle that made this statement. It had a man, had camo all over his face, and it made this statement. The warrior's greatest weapon, Pastor, is his mind. That's why if you ever watch Braveheart, you know, William Wallace said you got to use your wits. Amen? Now, that wasn't Scottish, I wasn't Scottish but, but, that, but that's as close as I can get. Amen? I'm just who I am. Amen? Pray, just pray for me. Please pray for me. But listen, Paul said this. If you're going to have a right thinking, and you listen, if your mind and the thinking in your life determines your character and it determines your conduct, number one, you need to have confident thinking. Verse 6 says, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. So you can have confident thinking. So number two, look look at chapter two. Very quick, I gotta go quick. All right, listen. Chapter number two, look at verse one. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, he said, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded having the same love, being of one core, one of heart and one chord. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of. And then he makes this statement. If you don't understand what I just said, let this mind be in you, which was also in. That uh, is good because that's the word of God. You know what? Somebody said, why do you always try to quote all that Scripture and memorize all that Scripture? Because you know what, young people? I want you to know when we leave this place this weekend that I'm not the authority that book is. That's how much weight I put in that book. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question, young people. Do you come to this conference? Do you go to your church? Do you go to your uni? Do you go to Bible college to be somebody or to serve somebody? See, because I contend to you, the Bible says that Jesus, who being in the form of God, the very essence of God, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, who being in the form of God, thought it not Robert to be equal with God. In other words, he didn't think his equality with God was something to hold on to, but laid it aside and came to earth and made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant." I love these people that say, you know what, I'm, I've got a guy in my church that says, I'm above, I'm above certain tasks because I've got a master's degree. I don't care how many letters you got after your name. I don't care if you got a DD, MD, BS, whatever it is, amen. We know what BS stands for, amen. I've got a Bachelor of Science. Well, I think it stands for something else, sir. I think you're full of BS, amen? Yeah, I said it. Hey, by the way, I don't have a master's degree, but I do have a DD. It's not a doctrine of divinity, but I. you know what the DD stands for in my life? The devil's defeated, amen? I've got a PhD. You know what that stands for? Past having doubt. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Amen. I have, I'm past having doubt in what God's done. Hey, He's brought me too far to leave me now. Amen. You've got to have confident thinking. But then He says you've got to have conforming thinking. We talked the other morning about what conform means. It means to be shaped with or shaped after. You know what you need to conform your mind to, young people? Mom and dad, I don't care how old or how young you are. You need to conform your thinking to the mind of Jesus Christ and be a servant. Jesus, who was so high, knelt so low and washed the feet of His disciples who would deny Him. And by the way, He was omniscient. He knew every bit of this. He washed their feet and knew just hours later they would deny Him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They would doubt him. Thomas doubted. we got a lot of Thomases in this room today, I'm sure. Can God really do... You know what the words, can God, mean? Absolutely nothing. Because those words ought not ever come out of your mouth. You ought not ever say, can God. You better say, God can. Let's do it. God can. Don't say, can God. Say, God can. Don't tell God how big your problems are. Tell your problem how big God is. Amen? And so what we need to do, and I don't care if it's depression, if it's drug addiction drug addiction, if it's uh you're hooked on internet pornography or some sexual addiction, yeah, I said it because there's a lot of that going around. They took just took a study in the United States of America of a thousand young men under the age of sixteen. Ninety-eight percent of them have already been delving into internet pornography, and eighty-five percent of the thousand are already addicted to it. It is a it is an epidemic. And you want to know why? It's because that's everything we see in today's society. All of it's sex. Everything's about it. Young people, you're going to have to guard yourself. You have to guard yourself against stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Hey, listen, young ladies. You don't have to take a piece of lace and drag it through a mud puddle to show it what it feels like to be a rag mob. You say, some of y'all looking at me like, did I miss something? You know what I'm saying? You don't have to go out and waste your life on all the filth that's scraped off the walls of hell because you want to sow your wild oats and you want to live your life. You know what? Live your life for Jesus Christ. Stay pure. Do the right thing. Make wise choices. You want to know why? Because God gave you a mind to use, not abuse. So number one, you can have confident thinking. That, listen, if you're going to forgive, and I'm getting somewhere, so I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to get there, so pray for me. Number one, you've got to have confident thinking, but number two, Steve, you've got to have conforming thinking. Look at chapter number three, verse four. Very quickly now. Chapter three, verse four. Look at it. Not only confident thinking and conforming thinking, but number three, I want you to look at this in chapter number three. He says, though I might also, look at verse number four. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man, what's the next word? Thinks. <laughs> can, I, can I ask you a question? Do you think that Paul's making a big deal about the way we think? I think he is. And he says, if any other man thinks that he hath where if he might trust in the flesh, Paul said, I more. In other words, he said, if anybody had a right to brag, Jamie, about who they were and what they did, I did. Because he was, listen, he was a stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. Hebrew of the Hebrews is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, as touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless. He said, I did everything right. I kept the law, 635 of them. I did everything. But then he makes this statement, but what things were gained to me, those I counted laws for Christ. So here's what you got to do. Some of you in this room have to have, number one, you need confident thinking. Say it, confident thinking. Number two, you need conforming thinking. Some of y'all need to write this down because you need this. Number one, confident thinking. Number two, conforming thinking. But number three, you need committed thinking. Committed thinking. You know what we need more than ever before in the work of God now? We don't need rededications. We don't need more rededications. We don't need more rededications. We need some people that'll make commitments. God wants a commitment from you. He don't want you to turn over a new leaf, because guess what? A New Year's resolution usually only lasts about three weeks. January the 1st rolls around. Well, Lord, I'm going to lose a stone and a half. This, I'm, I'm going to do it this year. And you know what? In three weeks, she's just pumping Snickers right in your mouth, that one after another. Three weeks later, amen? Some of y'all laughing, but you know it's the truth. God, please forgive me. I just offended somebody really bad, I promise you know, that's what we do. We make all these resolutions and in three and a half to four weeks, we've forgotten about it. We go back, right back to our life. Can I say something? I grew up on a farm. This ain't gonna make a whole lot of sense until I explain it. But I grew up on, on a farm and we had chickens, we had hogs, we had cows. And you know what I noticed about the difference between a chicken and a hog? Now, I'm, just, I'm, not trying, I'm not calling nobody a hog, but I am saying this. When a chicken lays an egg, it don't die. Actually, it's kind of relieved. And it lays an egg and it just runs around the farm. And it's just having the time of its life, you know. <laughs> and, but, it, but it don't die. You know what it does? That chicken makes a contribution to breakfast. But see, the hog goes to the slaughterhouse and makes a total commitment for breakfast. It becomes the bacon on your plate. It has to sacrifice itself. Can I get a witness and an amen right there for bacon? Hallelujah. Hey, man, Hold on a minute. Let me wipe the flower off of my mouth. You see the difference? The difference is some of you are just making contributions when you need to make a total commitment. Amen? I know that makes sense. And Don't look at me like, that's just a stupid thing I ever heard in my life. No, that's that's the way you remember stuff. Stop making resolutions and make commitments. Be like Paul. Paul said, I count everything but loss for the knowledge of the excellency of Christ Jesus my Lord. Can I say something, young people? I am nothing, but He is everything. And if I'll serve Him, He said He promised. He said, no good thing will I withhold from them that walketh uprightly. He said, I'll always be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And preachers, let me tell you something. When everybody else forsakes you, when you think nobody else loves you, you remember what Paul said in a Mamertine prison in Rome. He said, everybody forsook me. At my last word, nobody stood with me. But then he cut this, and I believe it was like God took him by the face and said, Paul, why are you looking out there for friends? He said, I've been right here in this jail cell with you all the time. And Paul said, nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. Boy, I'm glad I've got a friend in Jesus. Because you know what he does? He gives me committed thinking. Because he wouldn't ask me to do something, Gareth, that he wouldn't give me the ability and the power and the grace to be able to do it. And he says, let this mind be in you. Number one, you need confident thinking. Number two, you need conforming thinking. Number three, you need committed thinking. But number four, turn to chapter four and look at verse number one. Now, I'm getting ready to put the blinker on. We're going to take a right turn. Amen. Just like that. Okay. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my bre- What time am I going to need to be done, Pastor Larry? About 25 after? Okay. All right. I may make that. Amen. <laughs> Therefore, there- listen to this. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown. Do you know where Paul's at when he's writing this? Where's he at? He's in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Paul's in a jail cell writing this, and you know what he says? Therefore, my brethren... Now, everything you've just read, everything that you've just gotten from the Word, he was writing from prison, and he makes a statement from a jail cell and says, Therefore, my brethren, beloved, dearly and long, for my joint crown... He makes his statement, and he says, So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Now, I don't know what was going on in this church, because it really doesn't give us any detail but somewhere along the line, obviously because Paul had to mention it 22 times about joy, that somewhere along the line, something had stolen their joy. Because he's having to say rejoice here in verse four, rejoice in the Lord hallway. And again, I say rejoice. Why is he having to remind a church from prison about them having joy? That's kind of humorous, isn't it? Here's a man... It'd be like a person that had cancer, right? And somebody had a hangnail saying, please, it's going to be okay. And this person's dying of a terminal illness and talking to somebody that's got a hangnail. That's the problem with us. We need to have a backbone. We need to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Amen? You know the problem is, we need some Daniels. You know what, when I come to a conference like this, I don't feel like a Daniel, a lion in a Daniel's den, I feel like a Daniel in a den of lions, amen? Because y'all are strong. I, re, I really believe the reason why Daniel didn't get eaten that night in that lion's den because he was 50% grit and 50% backbone. He was too tough to eat, amen? amen. Ooh, I like that one. I, man, I need to write that down, that just came out. Let me write write that down. You know what, folks? Let me tell you something. He says you're special. Listen, God wants you to be joyful. But the reason why, there's some reason here it said he wanted them to stand fast. And, Fraser, there was something that happened in his church that was almost getting ready to make them quit. Let me, I want all of y'all to look at me right now. Was it, what is it in your life right now that's about to make you quit? Now, don't you can try to fake out everybody. You can have everybody snookered and think that, oh, I'm so spiritual and I've got everything right. I've got all my T's crossed and my I's dotted. And everything's good in my life. But deep down inside, you're so depressed and you're so, listen, you're so humiliated and you feel about this big that you're about to quit on God. I'm glad God don't feel that way about us. I'm glad God's long-suffering and merciful. Slow to anger and of loving kindness. And repent sometimes even of the evil that needs to come on of us because of the consequences of sin. God loves you that much. Some of you in here, you say, I'm so broken that God can't use me. Hey, let me tell you something. If you're broken this morning, I said this at the outset of this meeting to the church, people at Bethel. Fixed people can't help broken people. Only broken people can help broken people. Amen. And let me encourage you to think about this. If you're broken and you've got all kind of cracks in your life, that's the way God lets the light in and the light out. If you walk in the light as He is in the light, you have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses you from all sin. Think about that for a minute. Some of you in here, you know what? You say, I ain't much and I can't do this and I can't do that and God couldn't forgive me for what I did and Lord, I just feel so unusable. And you know, that's exactly probably the reason why God will use you because you hadn't got to that place where you go, wow, look at me. Look at the next verse. And I want you to, I want you to listen to this because this is what really gets me. Verse number two says, I beseech you, Odious, and I beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, I know a lot of times when I preach, I'll say Steve or Frazier or, you know, I'll I'll mention names. Because I want you to pay attention. That's the way I keep you on the edge of your seat. Because, see, you don't want to be asleep when I say, hey, Jamie. You know, you go, hey. I was preaching in my church years ago and we had two twin brothers. And one of them had sleep apnea. And uh, they would sit in the back and they were real practical jokers. I mean, they were real cheeky with one another. And they were sitting in the back, and I remember I was preaching one morning, and it, I'd, I'd, I'd already been preaching about 20 minutes. And I didn't know this, but one of the brothers was playing a practical joke. He fell asleep. The one with sleep apnea fell asleep. He's back there. And well, you can't hear that from where I was at, but he was back there sleeping. And his brother punched him in the side and said, Hey, the pastor prayed, called on you to pray. <laughs> yeah. He stood up right in the middle of my message and went, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your good... You can't make that up. Now, that's funny. That's funny right there. Amen? (laughs) But see, I mention personal names in my messages because I want you to understand that you need to pay attention. But can you imagine... That you get a letter from a man that has started your church and was a pastor and was in prison for his faith and he's writing a letter back to the church and it's being read before the church on a scroll and they're reading it and you imagine... That everybody, I mean, that'd be like if Pastor Larry got put in prison and you got a letter back from him, guys, and and, and, he, and you're reading this letter that he wrote in prison, and man, we'd be wiping the tears away from our eyes and we'd go, I miss Pastor, and I hope he gets out. And all of a sudden, in this letter, Paul mentions two women by name. Yeah. He says, I beg you, you odious. I beg, aren't you glad your name is Joyce or Emily? you imagine your name's Euodius? You, you probably didn't get me dates, amen. It's not as bad as Gomer. But anyway, there's a woman in the Bible named Gomer. Okay, so anyway. But he says, I beg you, you odious, and I beg you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. You want to know what was going on? There was a division between two women. Now listen to me, young people. I want you to get this because this I've said everything I've said to get to this point. There were two women in this church in Philippi who were at odds with one another and would not forgive one another. And you know what it was doing? It was robbing the whole church of its joy. See, here's what we think. Well, if I want to be bitter and I want to harbor my unforgiveness, I've got every right. Number one, I'll write you a check for a 1,000 pounds if you can show me anywhere in the Bible, verse book, verse in scripture, where it says you got a right to do anything except serve God. You ain't got a right to be bitter. You ain't got a right to be angry. You're to let that go because you know what? Forgiveness ain't for the one that you're forgiving. The forgiveness is for you. So you don't get in jail yourself, spiritually speaking. Young people, let me tell you something. These two women, can you see it? Brother, can you see it? There's one woman sitting on this side of the church, the other one sitting on that side of the church, and Paul, his letters being read, and I can guarantee you both of them were looking out the window because they didn't want to be there. They just mad. They was doing their obligatory service. They were coming to church. Can I explain something, young people? You don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. It's a privilege to be in the house of God, amen? I'm thankful. Listen, folks, My people in my church in the United States of America don't realize how rare it is to have fellowship one with another because we just get used to it as a church on every corner that preaches the same way, preaches the same stuff. And we take it for granted about fellowship. I'll never forget this, guys. About eight and a half, I guess eight, nine years ago now, I was standing upstairs and we didn't have one of that little curtain in that middle window and I was upstairs getting ready to eat, Pastor. And I looked down and there was a young girl sitting about where you young ladies are sitting. And she had her head in her hands and I said, man, I need to go down there and see what's going on. I came down and I sat beside her. I said, young lady, what's, what's wrong? She said, I got saved about a year ago. My mom and dad's lost. All my brothers and sisters are lost. I don't have a Christian friend at uni. And she said, I'm afraid... I'm afraid if I don't get somebody to come alongside of me and give me some encouragement, I'm going to quit. And I'm scared. You know what? You'd You'd never hear a teenager in the United States of America ever say that. And I speak that to my shame about my nation because we're so accustomed to being around God's people. Don't ever take it for granted that you get to come to God's house and be with God's people. Let me tell you something. This letter's being read. This lady's looking out the window that way. This lady's looking out the window that way. And they are at odds with one another. There's a spirit of unforgiveness. It doesn't say in the Scripture what they were at odds about, but that don't matter. The problem was they wouldn't forgive one another. And it affected the whole body of Christ. Let me explain something. You know what the Bible says? Looking diligently. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Write this verse down. Look it up and read it. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. You know what that verse is saying, brother? That if you hold on to your unforgiveness and your bitterness, it's not going to just affect you. It's going to affect the whole company of the people you're around. I was up at Tabernacle in Morganton back when I was 93. Had a young lady named Julie. It was in our youth group. I'll never forget this. It was Sunday school. Sunday school hour. I'd gotten done giving a little lesson and at the end of it, she raised her hand and said, Preacher, can I say something? Well, you know what? You got to be careful when you give somebody a platform to speak. I, you don't know what they're going to say, but I said, all right, come on up here. And she got up, she spoke to us and she said, everybody in this room, she said this. She said, everybody in this room knows I'm bitter. You know what? I was standing at the back and when she said that, all of them went. <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing. The person that's bitter and unforgiving is always the last one to ever admit it but everybody else knows they are. You know, it's like, man, don't go around her. Man, she's hot. I mean, not hot like hot, hot. She is, she's mad hot. Amen. (laughs) Stop it. You know, everybody else knows it, but the one that actually is. And this girl got up, sat, and she said this. She said, everybody knows I'm bitter. And she said, I have had it up to here with what my dad has done to my mother. She, she's They're in a bit bitter divorce right now. And he, she said, but you know what I found out? That my bitterness and my anger and unforgiveness has affected my whole youth group. And she said, I want to publicly say I'm sorry. And she said, I'm letting it go. And you know what she said, that Before Frozen ever came out. She said, I'm letting it go. Can I say something, young people? How do you forgive? I contend to you the way you forgive people is to change the way you think. See, some of you thought you forgiving somebody was for their benefit. No. Forgiving somebody is for your benefit. So you don't have to be in a spiritual prison like Paul was in a physical one. I want you to look at this. He said, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, or you that labor with us, help those women which labored with me in the gospel and with Clement also, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And then he says these words, be careful for nothing. You know what the problem is? Some of you have anxiety. You are a worrywart. And you are absolutely consumed with fear because you're holding on to something you to let go of. I'm talking to one person probably in particular this morning that you're holding on to unforgiveness from a parent that's hurt you so badly. Some of you are from split homes. There was a young man I led to Christ named Chris Rogers. I'll never forget this. Chris Rogers got saved. About three weeks after he got saved, he called me and said, you know what, Pastor, I'm going to do something I should have done years ago, but I didn't know the principle that you taught me in the Scripture. And he said, I'm going to my dad, my biological father, who was a molester, who was a pedophile, who was addicted to pornography, who beat me and put... Iron. He said he literally used to put his, the iron on the back of my calves while I was playing my PlayStation. He said he would go down the hall and take a cigarette, Tibby, and he'd put it out on my arm, and he'd burn his arm. He'd scrape all the, all the scraps from all the other kids off onto, because he was the youngest, off onto one plate and say, There, Chris, here's your dinner. Treated him like a dog. And Chris said, I'm going down to his place of employment because I can't take it no more, because I want to be released from this. And he said, I'm going to ask my dad to forgive me. Hello. To forgive me for hating him. You know what Chris did the last three years of his dad's life? His dad died of cancer. Chris moved out of his house and into the home of the father who molested him and took care of him and bathed him and cared for him. And I contend to you, until you're willing to serve the person that hurt you, you may not have forgiven yet. I'm going to give you some things that will help you before we go to our groups. I want you to listen to these. This is a test to see if you, have been, if you have forgiven someone. Number one, how many details do you remember about how they hurt you? If you're holding on to details, you probably need to go ahead and say, Lord, forgive me, and I need to forgive them. The more that you can remember, the less likely you are to forgive have you thanked God for the person and the situation? By the way, you know what? I had a man in my church in, in Salisbury, North Carolina, who embezzled about 35000 American dollars from our mission fund to build a house for himself. Didn't find it out until months, months, months later. You know what that man did, Pastor? He maligned me. He literally was one of the, 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 the ringleaders to oust me out of the church. And do you know what I had to do? I had to go back and review the good out of that relationship instead of holding on to all the negative. You know, what that, you know what that man did? That man taught my kids in Awana. Hey, listen, he was a dear friend. We had some good times together. You can't focus on the negative. Focus on the positive. What good came out of that relationship? So if you thank God for the person and the situation, have you begun to serve the offender? Have you begun to pray that your offender has prospered? By God. Remember, you reap what you sow. You get it? I know you're listening. You just ain't saying much because you're thinking, ain't you? I want you to remember this, young people. Pain. Pain is good, but it's not pleasant. I remind you what Paul told the church in Corinth. This light affliction, which is but for a moment, will work for you a more exceeding and eternal way to glory. If you'll just allow God, let me tell you what. We, we say this in the Marine Corps. Pain is weakness leaving the body. No pain, no gain. Pain is good, but it's not pleasant. Number two, pain is inevitable while misery is a choice. You're welcome. Forgiveness is simply accepting God's goodness to us. I want to give you six steps to forgiveness. Write these down, young people. You're going to need these. Write these down. Number one, six steps to forgiveness. You must feel the pain. You want to know why people don't forgive? Because they suppress what happened and you can't heal what you can't feel. You got to feel the pain. Number two, separate the pain from the person or the issue. You see what I'm saying? Separate that pain you feel from the person. Don't hold them... Separate the action from the issue, the pain from it. Number three. Get angry at the behavior, not the believer or the person that hurt you. Number four, release to God. Let it go. Amen. Release to God the offender and the pain. Number five, express love to the offender. And number six, Act toward the offender with bold love. That means do something that will extend grace to the one that hurt you. I promise you, if you'll do that, you'll have a sweet spirit. Sure. Four and five. Okay. Number one was feel the pain. You can't heal what you can't feel. Number two, separate the pain from the person or the issue. Number three... Get angry at the behavior, not the person. Number four, release to God the offender and the pain. Number five, express love toward the offender. Just like Chris served his dad. Number six says, act toward the offender with bold love. And remember this, if you hadn't written it down already, if you've got it on your page, write the letters down, I-Y-Q-Y-Q-R. And remember, that's how God loves you. I'm going to say this, young people, and we're going to our, our, our question time in the group. I've had a lot of people come up to me. Let me say something. If you say, I can't forgive myself, you know what? You're holding a higher standard than God does. Did you get that? There's a lot of people in this room who says, I just can't forgive myself for what I've done or what I've, 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 I've caused. You know what? You're holding yourself to a higher standard than God does. God forgave you. Why can't you forgive you? Bible says, love your neighbors, you love yourself. Do you love yourself enough to let yourself off the hook? Amen? Some of y'all got too high of a standard. You need to say, you know what? I want to I forgive like God forgives, and that is unconditionally. It means this. I don't care how bad you've hurt me or what you've done. I will always seek your greater good. That's what unconditional love is. So listen. If we're going to have a forgiving spirit, we need to change our thinking. Have, number one, confident thinking. Number two, conforming thinking. Number three, committed thinking. But number four, write this one down, contented thinking. Paul said, I have learned that whatsoever state I'm in there with to be content. Young people, are you content with where God's got you? If not, maybe you need to search your heart this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. I pray that you'd bless in the hour to come and bless uh, the remainder of this day. I thank you for all these young people. I thank you for calling them up for me able to be calling my friends. I pray that you'd bless each and every individual. And God, you'd help us to open our hearts and do that which only you can do this morning and that is heart work. And we're going to love you and thank you for what you do in Jesus' name.